Hey, good morning, church. It's so good to be in God's house today as we worship, encounter His Spirit. So thankful that you're here. If uh, you weren't able to be here, you're tuning on online. Uh, hope that you feel God's presence with you uh, this morning. Uh, I'm excited as we uh, continue on our series on uh, what is God really like. You know, the motive behind this series is when you talk about God, oftentimes people will express some sort of belief in God. And you, when you say, what is God like? It usually starts with, well, I think, right? I think God is, I think God is maybe, or God is not. And a lot of times those I think statements are based out of our experience or maybe the influence that we've had from others. Sometimes it's a positive thing. Sometimes it's a very negative thing. The, very, the benefit we have of following Jesus and encountering the one true living God is that we don't have to just say, I think. We can say, I know. I know who God is. I know what his character is like because we have the gift of his word to us where he has just specifically laid out and detailed who he is, his love for us and for the world, and we don't have to wonder. Though there are elements of his character that are beyond our grasp, we also know he's been very specific in saying, this is who I am. And so our key passage for this series comes out of Exodus 34, verse 6, where God makes a statement about his character. It's actually the first time he just blatantly says, this is who I am. And it is so essential that it's restated more than 20 times in the scripture, reminding us of God's character. And he says this in Exodus 34, verse six, it says, and he, the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Let's pray for a second. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are, your love for us. And even though you are beyond what we can fully comprehend, you have given us specifically a glimpse into your heart. God, may your spirit reveal truth to us today and may we take that truth and may it transforms our relationships with you and with others. In Jesus' name, amen. And so last week, uh, Pastor Matt opened the series talking about the fact that God is compassionate, that he has eyes to see and a heart to be with us, that his compassion isn't just a sympathy for us, but he responds and reacts to his children based on what they're going through. If you missed it, it was really powerful just talking about, the, again, the pure love of our Heavenly Father toward his children. And you can check that out online. I encourage you to do that. But what does it mean today? We're going to look at what it means for God to be gracious and slow to anger. And our hope today is that we would just define those terms, maybe grasp what specifically it's trying to show us in scripture. We'll, we'll look at how it's illustrated throughout the Bible, actually. And then ultimately we'll say, how does it then impact my relationship with God and others? And so to be gracious, the Hebrew term there, it kind of, it starts in the back of your throat if you want to say it with me. It's chen, all right? Kind of like a lot of people haven't been feeling well, you got a chen, all right? It's kind of a K and an H together. If anybody's fluent in Hebrew, that may not be how you actually say it, but that's how I'm trying. Chen, all right? K 
K-H-E-N. And, and to define it is, is this. It's to show favor, kindness, and compassion. And most often it's used in a way where that favor or that kindness or compassion is unmerited, undeserved, based more on the person giving it than the one receiving it. So I want you just to pause and think, how has God been gracious to you? How have you experienced his favor, his kindness, his compassion in your life? Maybe even today, maybe this week, maybe if you just pause and think over the course of your life, how has God's unmerited grace been expressed to you? Because if we approach the word with humble hearts and grateful hearts, we tend to see a little more clearly who God is. And so I think each and every one of us can probably say, man, you don't have to convince me there. I believe God is gracious because he's been gracious to me. I mean, if we think just the, the gift of simply living, that he's given us breath in our lungs, ex- relationships to experience, a relationship with him, a purpose to live for because of his grace. Jesus describing this aspect of God our heavenly father, he said, he compared it to earthly fathers. He said, if you're an earthly father and you desire to give gifts to your children and yet you're sinful, how much more will your heavenly father desire to pour out his favor and love on you? God is gracious. You know, prophets, they remind God's people as you read through the scripture, there are times where God's people flee from him. They, they disobey him. They follow the sinful desires of their flesh. And oftentimes it says God handed them over to their sin. And the prophets remind them, even in their punishment, even in their disobedience, remember who God is. Isaiah 30, 18, it says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. He is gracious. It's part of his desire as our heavenly father. If we step into relationship with Jesus and are adopted into his family, he can't help but put his favor on us because it's who he is. Thank God that he is gracious. And because he is gracious, he is also slow to anger. You know, a common question or statement you might get is, isn't God angry? Like, I I read the stories of the Old Testament. It seems like God's pretty angry. Like, he's temperamental. He just is spiting people and sending fire from the sky. Like, God, it's an angry God, isn't it? No. It's a God who's gracious. A God who is slow to anger, which means there is anger, but it's righteous. And we'll look at that in a second. The, the Hebrew uh, words to describe the fact that he is slow to anger, it says literally that he is long of nose. And so you're sitting here, I've said, Ken and long of nose. I hope you're blessed by both of those, right? <laughs> what, what does it mean? The Hebrew language oftentimes, it's descriptive and it tries to illustrate the meaning as well as defining it. And so long of nose means that he is long-tempered or slow to express his wrath. Now, if you would participate here with me, when you get angry, physiologically, physiologically, I don't know if that's how you say that word, 
physiologically. There we go. What happens when we get angry? We get hot, right? Hot temper. It often goes to our head, right? The term hot head, someone who's short-tempered, all right? And then what happens to your nose when you're really worked up? Show the person next to you, right? You get angry. It snarls. It shortens, right? For God to be long of nose, it means that he is patient, that his temperament is not unstable. He doesn't lose it and blow up all the time, but he is gracious and slow to become angry. Now, don't get me wrong. It's undeniable. He lays it down, right? <laughs> that anger comes out. He's not afraid to, do, to lay the smack down, so to speak, uh, when needed. But because he is good, good and gracious, that is always controlled and his anger is expressed to things of injustice or even disobedience of his children. But even before we get there, think of an example in scripture where his anger does burn. The Egyptians, you know, they enslaved God, God's people for 400 years and when God sent Moses to set them free, the Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He even sent 10 plagues and he wouldn't relent. And so God punished them punished them with the plagues. Finally, they let him go and then they changed their mind. They chased God's people. They pin them up against the Red Sea and God miraculously splits the sea, lets his people through. And when the Egyptians chase in after him, the sea collapses and he wipes out their chariots and their army. When that, after they get to the other side, Moses and his mother Miriam pin a song. And in that song, it says this, in the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger and it consumed them like stubble. Man, if there's one thing I never want to experience in my life is the burning anger of God. But again, because he is good, his anger is released upon injustice and disobedience. If you're following along, that's the next fill-in. There is anger in God and he couldn't be good if he did not get mad against evil, desired to punish that which is not good because that's not what he wanted in this world to begin with. And so for us, we don't focus in on the fact that God is angry because he's not. What, how he describes himself is slow to anger, patient. Specifically, I think of my own life. You know, the times where I went astray, the times where I, before I even committed my life to Christ, looking back, man, where was God's grace on my life? And how slow was he <laughs> to release his anger, to allow me to come to a place where I could experience forgiveness and grace through Jesus so I didn't have to experience the anger and his righteous wrath that I deserved. You know, if you look throughout scripture, Romans 1, Paul describes this, God's anger, and he, he kind of says it, it in this way, that when a people or a culture lose their gratitude for God, they wander into perverse thinking, they start to justify things that should never be justified, God's anger is being poured out in the way that he just hands them over to their sin. Even in his wrath, he is gracious saying, if that's what you desire, have at it. And it's a, it's a caution to us. We're going to see it played out in his people, but you see it throughout human history, culture, civilizations, kingdoms. When God removes his grace and hands them over to their sin, 
It's not long before they reap the full benefit of that, right? But again, what we want to focus on today isn't his anger, but the fact that he is slow to anger. He's gracious and patient with us, loving us. And so how do we see this played out in the Bible? We want to take just a few minutes and say, where do both grace and slow to anger intersect in the story of Scripture? You know, you can look even in the first pages of Scripture and the fact that it's God's favor and his grace that he creates us, that he gives Adam and Eve everything they need, including a relationship with him. He walks with them and he gives them one simple thing not to do. And if you're like them, <laughs> what do you want to do when you're told not to? That one simple thing. They fall, they fail, and they reap the, sin, or the punishment of their sin. But even in their punishment, God projects the redemption that's to come. And in fact, if you want to summarize the whole Bible, it is the story of God's redeeming work for a people who have fallen short of what he calls us to. That even from creation, there was a plan for redemption because we couldn't follow him the way he wanted us to. And you see that in Genesis 3. But how does God work out that redemption? How does he bring his salvation to the world? In Genesis 12, we see that his game plan is to pick a people group, a family, and make them into a nation and to bless them and to carry out his blessing to the whole world through them. And that happens through Abraham and his family. If you would, you look at Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3 with me. Again, just an expression of God's favor and goodness. He comes to Abraham not because of anything Abraham's done, but he just comes to Abraham and he says this. This is prior to him changing his name from Abram to Abraham. But he says, Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Favor is going to be poured out in you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. From the get-go, God's plan for redemption was universal. His plan for grace and blessing included all of the earth, but he had to pick a family and eventually a nation for that to flow through. And he picked Abraham. His favor rested on Abraham. As you read the next few chapters, God continually affirms this promise. He enters into a covenant with Abraham, sealed with blood, that he will never go back on his word. He even prophesied to Abraham, said, your family's going to grow, but they will encounter slavery. They'll be in a distant land for 400 years, but I will bring them out and place them into the land I have promised to them. And so there is a promise and there is a covenant that he establishes with this people. After 25 years, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they conceive a son, Isaac. And as Isaac grows into adulthood, that promise and that covenant is passed on to him. He later has a son named Jacob. That promise and that covenant is passed on to him. And the goal is that they would be God's people. They would reveal God's character and his love to the world. The blessing would flow through them. And so in the Bible, when you hear the term, the Lord of, or the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it's always pointing back, not to just the God that they worship, but to this promise and this covenant that he has made, that you can, uh, you can take stake in the fact that God will not turn his back on his people. And so 
as we know the story, that they grow into a nation. They're enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. I kind of told you how they got out of that. Moses uh, leading them through the Red Sea. And it takes us to where we want to set just for a few minutes today. After they come through the Red Sea, God has worked these powerful miracles. He's released these plagues. He's showing them the full extent of who he is and how he can rescue them. And he gives an opportunity, an invitation for this people, 400 years past getting into Egypt, to recommit to this covenant, to accept this blessing for themselves, and again, to live it out. There's some scriptures listed there. We won't have time to go through all of them, but listen again to his grace and how is it is expressed in Exodus 19, verses five to eight. He says, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. My favor will rest on you. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, he tells Moses. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought that word back to the Lord. We will do everything. We're in. Our whole allegiance, everything, we're devoted to this. You can use us, God, in whatever way you want. We will follow you. And so if you would, just in picture what happens next or envision it. They're st standing before Mount Sinai in the Sinai uh, Peninsula and Desert. And God tells them, encamp here around the mountain. I will consume the mountain with smoke. I'll invite Moses alone to come up and I will speak to him. They'll hear the thunder of my voice. They'll experience what my presence can do as it rests on this mountain and I meet with Moses. And so the people do that. They encamp around it. Moses goes up to the mountain. He meets with the Lord. He speaks with the Lord and the Lord gives him the details of what it's going to mean to follow him. The Ten Commandments kind of the keys, keys to what's going to guide them and how they relate to one another, how they follow God. All the details. And again, the goal is that as they pursue God, they would reveal God's character. They would be set apart and God's blessing would flow through them to others. And so in Exodus 24, Moses returns. He's got the book of the covenant. He's got everything the Lord has said and he gives them the option to confirm their commitment, to enter the covenant. He took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took blood. He sprinkled it on the people and he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Sealed with blood, this is what will guide us. In response to this, God invites Moses back up the mountain. For 40 days, he meets with Moses. And again, he, the cloud of his presence is over the mountain. Surely they could hear his voice booming in the distance. In 40 days, the people are encamped around them. And they get a little impatient. They're still kind of in the midst of the ceremony, the covenant they have just made. And after 40 days, they're having second thoughts. Cold feet. In fact, they wonder whether or not Moses will ever come down. And listen 
to how they respond. Exodus 32, one to four. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, Aaron being Moses' brother, who spoke with God with Moses as well. And they, he, they said, come make us gods who will go before us. Now, if I think of the 10 commandments, it's have no other gods before me. Don't make any idols in my image or any other image and worship them. Don't take my name in vain. They, they present to Aaron, make gods who will go for us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Now, Aaron, being Moses' brother, a man of integrity who will stand up for what is right, says no, and he rebukes them. Not quite. <laughs> Aaron says, okay, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and he made an idol cast in the shape of a calf. He fashioned it with a tool. Then he said this, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I'm reading that and it's just like, man, you go from like a climax of, wow, God is restoring his people. He's establishing this covenant. They're going to experience the full goodness of his grace and his mercy. And they are going to transform the world and be used by him. And then this. And I think God's going to lay it down on him, right? Even as he's meeting with Moses, he sees what's happening. And he tells Moses, turn around and look at that stiff-necked people who just pledged their allegiance to me. And can't even wait a few weeks to hear of all the things I want to do for them. He even offers to Moses, I'll wipe them out. I'll restart with you and your family. I'll stay true to my word. But I'll start with you, Moses, if you desire. And Moses pleads with him. He pleads with him based on his character and his promise. He says, no, don't wipe them out so that the other nations can say, oh, look at that God who, who they worship. He must be crazy. He says, don't wipe them out, but relent in your anger. Be slow to anger God. And in fact, in that conversation is then when God responds with those words. This is who I am. I'm gracious and slow to anger. I'm compassionate. I'm faithful in love and faithful in all that I do. And so that that. I think of this experience and again, God's desire to pour out his grace on his people and yet their response of disobedience, their desire to go from what is good to whatever they, they want. And if you, if you follow this family, they become the nation of Israel, right? The Jewish people, you follow them throughout the Old Testament, it is like a pendulum, <laughs> of them being devoted to the Lord. And then they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You read through Judges, it's like, man, God does something amazing to show them his grace and his love. But then they did evil in the eyes of the Lord and he handed them over to their sin and allowed a people to conquer them. But here's what we know. As you trace that throughout scripture, God is always faithful to his word. We can always trust in him. And I'll be honest, as I was reading through this promise, as I was tracking the family this week, I was even saying, God, why did you waste your time on them, right? 
I mean, I feel like having toddlers myself, I feel like God is raising a toddler in his relationship with Israel, right? It's, hey, don't go worship that God. And they're like, okay. And then what do they do? They go and worship that God. Don't prostitute yourself to those foreign gods because then you will be conquered by those people that worship that God. Okay. And they go and do the very thing. I was kind of lamenting to God, like, why did you choose this family? Why did you choose? And then I heard God's gentle whisper <laughs> say, that's not just their story. Isn't that your story as well? See, I can sit in criticism. <laughs> I can read through this relationship and think, man, God, they just couldn't get it right. Why couldn't they pull themselves together? Why couldn't they just follow through with their commitment? And I can be real critical. Or... I can allow God to let me see my story and their story. Because what we know, and especially after Jesus has come, that God's grace and his favor abounds on us so much more because we can be redeemed through Jesus. We can have his very presence inside of us, and yet that temptation to chase after things of this world, to make our own gods, to pursue that which God never wanted us to, that temptation's there for each and every one of us. And so how do we see it resolved? By the end of the Old Testament, it almost fe feels hopeless. Like this word that you've given us, God, this word and these commandments and these rules, nobody is going to be able to live up to them. Nobody's gonna be able to fulfill them. You're always going to be really in the right place to release your punishment or wrath on us. What is going to be the solution. I love the words of John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The truth is by the time we get to the New Testament, the only hope for humanity is from God. And we see that. And Jesus came to be that hope for you and I and for all of the world. That what we could not fulfill, he came to fulfill. He came to live a perfect life so that we could be forgiven through him. And in fact, when he went to the cross, it was an act not only of God's grace and his favor being poured out, but also an act of Jesus receiving the wrath and the punishment that God long held back for all of us and for all of his people for so many generations. A punishment that was righteously due, but the Lord always had the plan of redemption to be through Jesus. In fact, in Romans, listen to how Paul describes this in Romans. Chapter three, verses 23 through 26, he said, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, he is gracious, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ, Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Christ as a sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back slow to anger, and did not punish those who had sinned in times past. 
for he was looking ahead. I'm sorry, I lost my spot. He was looking ahead, including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Man, how good and gracious is our God that he was so slow to anger because of the plan of Jesus going to the cross. And he released that fully on him. And so now for me, how does that impact my relationship with God? As we close, maybe just a couple things that we can take from this. One, that God is gracious and that full graciousness and goodness and favor can be accepted and received by us when we place our faith in Jesus. Because without that, we are due punishment. But because Jesus took it upon himself, anyone who confesses their faith in the Lord will be saved, can be forgiven of that, can receive the favor of being adopted into God's family, calling our Heavenly Father, Daddy, and receive the full favor and grace that comes only through that relationship. And so as I think about that, I know because God is full of grace that he wants to bless me. And he wants to bless others through me. Because of his gracious love, I know he wants to bless me and bless others through me. I think even that promise he gave to Abraham that he's always faithful to. I will bless you and I will bless the whole world through you. He will not go back on his word. Now that blessing for each and every one of us, it looks different. And it doesn't always meet like our cultural temporary standard of what blessing is. It's not always a, a health and wealth kind of promise. But primarily it's his spirit dwelling in us. What greater blessing could we ever have than God's spirit inside of us, guiding and directing our every step? What greater blessing could we have than a purpose to live for? That he's called me not just into relationship, but he's empowered me to make a difference in other people's life so they can experience that relationship. What greater blessing could we have? There are blessings in temporary ways. There are financial blessings. There's material blessings that we do receive often. And they're always meant to flow through us to bless others around us. That we would develop with those blessings a generous heart, seeing each one of them as God's gift to us that can flow through us to bless someone else. And so as I think about relating to God, it's that I expect his favor and his blessing on my life, but I expect for it to flow through me to others. And daily, we can just ask God, would you do that? Would you use me somehow to love or bless someone else today? And if he can trust you to do that, his blessing will increase. If we're faithful with little, he will give us much. So first, because of God's grace, I know he wants to bless me and bless others through me. Because he is slow to anger, and he's slow to anger with me, I can be patient and forgiving with others. That's a hard one, isn't it? <laughs> because he's slow to anger with me, I can be patient and forgiving with others. If we just step back and are honest with what we deserve based on our own actions, and yet God was slow to anger and punishing us and put that on Christ so that we could be restored, and he protected us so much from the full result of those sinful decisions, man, that ought to humble us 
to give us a gentle spirit that we wouldn't walk around looking to be offended, but because we've been restored and reconciled with Jesus, we would be ambassadors of grace and we would seek to reconcile and restore relationships, that peace would flow into our family, our homes, our work environment, every interaction that we have. Colossians 3.13, it encourages us that in that way. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Why? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you encounter the depth of his love and the forgiveness that we didn't deserve, but he poured out on us, it ought to humble us. It ought to begin a work in us to create a gentle spirit. So I think our, our challenge is, Lord, how do you want me to be patient or forgiving? Even right now, there might be examples come into your mind, relationships in your mind. How can I start that at my home, with my children, in my workplace? Sometimes we need help, we need accountability. As, as Nick mentioned, the, the benefit of groups is that we get wisdom and encouragement for other people who are trying to live this out. So if you're not in a group, get into one so God can continue to work this out in your life and you can be encouraged and inspired by how he's working it in others. I know just thinking through this and again, thinking of the cross, I'm so thankful. God is gracious, he is righteous, but he is slow to anger. So let's just close in prayer and thank him for that. Loving God, we thank you for the gift of knowing exactly who you are as you describe yourself in scripture. And Lord, we pray for for mental and spiritual protection when our experience or the experience of others or even the lies of the enemy wanna get us away from the truth of who you are, may we always go back to your word. And Lord, today as we look at what it means for you to be gracious and slow to anger, Father, thank you that you desire to pour out your favor and your kindness and your compassion on us, your children. Lord, I pray that you would draw each and every one of us into a deeper relationship with you. And if there's anyone even today here right now who hasn't taken a step to enter into that relationship, that your spirit would show your grace and kindness to them right now. Just draw them into accepting you. That Jesus died in their place so that they can be forgiven and restored to you. That he conquered the grave and overcame the effects of sin so that we could have eternal life and purpose. I thank you that you are gracious, not only to bring us into relationship with you, but then to live with purpose and to experience that favor as we walk. I pray that it would be released on each and every one of us, each family in here, each individual, and that we would have a gracious and generous heart to allow it to flow through us to others, that we would be ambassadors of hope and peace that we would be generous and loving as you are. Lord, I thank you so much that you are slow to anger, that you held, even personally, you held back the punishment I was due for my sin and gave me an opportunity to come into relationship with Jesus. And Lord, while we sometimes still feel the effects of those poor choices, I pray that you would redeem and restore those times when we, just like your children in scripture, were tempted to walk away or when we pledged our allegiance to things that would never fulfill, Lord, would you again reveal your grace with forgiveness and redeeming the past? I thank you that that's a promise you've given us. 
Lord, ultimately, we want to live up to the blessing you've placed before us. We want to follow you with obedience, with purpose. And Lord, we want to be used by you, empowered by you to make a difference together wherever we are. God, may nothing in our hearts or our minds or in our choices and decisions hinder that. But would you purify us with your spirit? Help us to live on mission and to be a blessing to this world as you continue to pour out your favor and grace on us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, again, I want to thank you so much for being here. I hope you're connecting into community uh, and uh, finding relationship and encouragement here. If you want to make that step to commit your life to Jesus, uh, just as Craig did last week after service, you can go see uh, Dennis over at the Yes table. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, you're welcome uh, to come down front. I'll be here. I'd love to pray for you. Um, and if you're a guest, I hope you felt encouraged and welcome today. Stop by guest services. We'd love to connect with you. We'll see you next week.